Welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 19 years of healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My skill in moving energy combined with my medical background have been a catalyst for change in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. morning. It's Marie Manu Cherry Show. We are live here in Seattle. We're wishing everyone a gorgeous and beautiful day or evening or whatever, whatever weather you might be experiencing too, no matter where you are in the world. It's stunning here in Seattle. We have sunshine everywhere. It was 29 degrees though when we were driving a brisk. in. A little brisk. Yeah, one of my cats was going to every door possible to try to get back in this morning. I think your cat had a good relationship with uh, Punxsutawney Phil, apparently. Uh, it's going to be six more weeks of winter, by the really? way. Yes, for Groundhog's Day. Oh, yes. my goodness gracious. So, I had no idea. Yeah, so it kind of depends on where you are. But, oh. I mean, I'm kind of partial to it. We haven't seen so much snow here. Portland did. Uh, oh, Portland did, I know. Yeah. I think there might get some more. But Really? Uh, oh, my fun. gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, we're welcome to the show, yeah. and we hope that wherever you are in the world that you're looking out the window or you're outside going on a beautiful walk and that you're enjoying wherever you are. We always talk about the weather and your part of the world so that you'll get grounded in, in your body as we have an energetic experience. Walking with a purpose. Walking with a purpose. I love that. I love it. So one of the things I get to do on the show is interview people who I believe are on the leading edge of thought. And recently a book came across my desk. It's called Physicians Untold Stories. Miraculous experiences doctors are hesitant to share with their patients or anyone. They're really beautiful, emotionally evoking, mysterious, divine stories. And I thought we really need to pick me up right now. We've got a lot of weird stuff happening in the world, and especially in our. You mean I can't do it all? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, you give great pick me up, Spanny. You do right, lovely. Okay. But we need some extra help. We need an IV infusion mm-hmm. of some love and happiness and joy and inspiration. So um, the author of the book, Dr. Um, Kulbaba, who lives in, I believe, let me see, uh, he's in Illinois. He's a physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, um, and also the proud father of seven children. I don't know how this physician sleeps. We're going to find out about that. Man, I have twins, and I'm like, ooh, boy, <laughs> I got nothing now. And so he authored this lovely book, which has um, 26 other physician stories in the book. So I think you're really going to love it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kulbaba. Thanks, Mary, very much. And uh, I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> see, I knew it. Okay, how do you do that? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I've always had, I've been a Duracell uh, battery here. I always uh, have more energy than anyone else I know. And, and uh, in my abundant leisure time between 11 p.m. and about 2 a.m., I write my book. And so uh, uh, that, that's how I got through it. Well, we're so grateful that you are a physician that has that Energizer bunny inside of you. When I was uh, practicing RN, I would feel bad when I worked night shift and I had to call a doctor at 4 a.m. in the morning because I was going to wake him up when, when maybe he was finally getting some rest. I feel bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. So Thank what, you. Yes, of course. What inspired you to you know, write your book and collect all these stories? What inspired you? Well, you know, I had a few unusual experiences myself, and I, I, uh, I thought, you know, I wondered if other doctors had those experiences. And, and about that time, uh, one other doctor uh, grabbed me, actually literally grabbed me on the floor and said, I've got to tell you this incredible story. 
And so I said, okay, tell me the story. And he said, well, I can't tell you here. It's, it's, someone might hear it. <laughs> so we went to an empty patient's room, and they told me this phenomenal story about a, um, a mutual patient that had arrested in the OR. And uh, when she arrested, she was you know, pretty much flatlined, eyes closed, no pulse, no respirations. It was a reaction to an, uh, the uh, antibiotic that she was given. And she uh, eventually came around. Uh, there was a guy that came in from the other room, uh, a tech that did CPR on her. He had bright red hair and, and did uh, CPR, but not adequately enough. So the surgeon in charge, uh, after he wouldn't move aside, actually pushed him aside, and he stumbled away. And uh, she finally, you know, recovered and, and uh, woke up the next day. And when she was about to leave the uh, hospital, she met with Dr. Mokul, who was the orthopedic surgeon operating on her, and he said, you know, I... I uh, want to give you some final instructions, and she said, thank you for saving my life. And he said, no, it's a, he's a humble guy. It's a, it was just a mutual uh, uh, thing. All the doctors and the techs and so forth came in and helped out. She said, no, no, I saw you. When I arrested, I rose up to the top of the, to the, to the ceiling in the, in the room, and I was able to watch everything as clearly as, as possible. And I could see you push that guy with the red hair away, and I saw him stumble away. And she mentioned multiple other little minutiae of things that happened in the uh, OR at that time. And Dr. Mokul, by this point, had weak knees and had to sit down because <laughs> he, he couldn't understand. He's a scientific kind of a guy and couldn't understand how this, this all had happened. And uh, she also mentioned that her grandmother, who had died uh, uh, many years before, had come to her and said, if you're a, uh, you know, a good person, an honest and, and caring person the rest of your life, I've got a special place for you in heaven. Mm. And so Dr. Mokul didn't quite know how to take this and didn't tell anyone until he saw me, and he just had to, he was bursting <laughs> with uh, emotion, had to tell someone. So he told me, but he said, don't tell anyone else about this story. <laughs> and so uh, I, I put that in the back of my head, and after that, there were a couple other docs that came to me with unusual stories. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this would make a good book. Uh, you never know. You know, again, I'm not a writer. I'm a, I'm a general doctor. And so I met with one of my uh, patients. You know, doctors are like barbers. They have uh, uh, people that specialize in every, every area of life. Uh, right. We have uh, construction workers, and we have <laughs> roofers, and we have uh, dentists. And, and so this is a publisher. And so mm. I sat down with him uh, one lunchtime, and I said, let me, let me tell you a few stories and just see if you know, they think there's some merit in, in writing these down. So we talked a little bit, and, and I was pretty hungry that day, and I was mostly concentrating on my eating. And after about two or three stories, I looked up, and he was sitting there, not Aww. eating, with tears in his eyes. Aww. I thought to myself, oh, boy, there's something here with these stories. And he said, you have to write this book. So wow. after that, I decided to collect more stories. And what I do is uh, uh, hang out in the doctor's lounge, which has <laughs> uh, wonderful, attractive things for doctors like donuts and coffee and uh, right. sweet rolls. And it is kind of funny how <laughs> probably the most unhealthiest food on the planet you can find in a hospital. <laughs> it's pretty That's funny. True. Yeah. So I'd ask the doctors if they had stories, and I was amazed at the number of stories I, I was able to get. And I only used the ones that either gave me goosebumps or made mm. me tear up. And mm. Those are the stories that I put in the book. But mm. there are lots of stories that happen to docs, and everyone, I'm sure, all the time. Well, so that's I, how I got interested in, and started writing the book. And I love how that publisher, you know, just kind of spontaneously came into your life, and you started to share a few things. And, and he gave you also the encouragement, like, oh through those tears, you know, like, please write this book. What a beautiful, um, beautiful book. And perfect timing, too, right now with the world a little cuckoo. Um, We need to be reminded of how pure and amazing and wonderful things are, even if we don't think they are. Sometimes things are really working out for the better of all, but we can't actually see through all the 
stress and the anxiety. One of the stories in the book you wrote about a physician, and did did you write all their stories, or did they write their stories? How did um, that happen? Only one doc wrote wrote the story. Oh. Otherwise, I I I gather all the information from the docs and wrote the story out. Then we go back and forth a number of times to make sure it was all correct. Perfect. So I, I wanted to have some you know a universal kind of writing style. Because some docs can write really well and some docs can write really bad. <laughs> so, so I thought I'd uh, I'd do it all myself. Right. There's a lot of abbreviating that goes on in medicine, right? And yes. So, yes. right. Um, one of the stories that I loved was about a physician who was hiking with a, a group of scouts. I, I think maybe he was a, an adult leader on this um, excavation that they were doing in the mountains. They were hiking. Yes. And he got altitude sickness because it was really yes. high up. Yes. And... Uh, uh, the, it also started to get really cold, and so they, the other adults decided to take all of the younger people down, and he was going to bunker in his sleeping bag. And right. he almost died of hypothermia. And, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, it was so beautiful the way he even described what his body was going through as, as a medical person who had read about hypothermia, but, but to actually experience it was really telling. Yeah. He, um, he had a sleeping bag, and he crawled into the sleeping bag, and he thought that would be enough, and he started to get chilled. And, you know, he, he knows enough about hypothermia and outdoor uh, sporting things and so forth because he's a kind of a, uh, was, was a doctor that specialized in, in high adventure kinds oh, of medicine. Oh, interesting. And so he knew what was happening to himself. He got, he got chilled first. And, and there are stages of, of freezing to death. And one of the first stages is you get chilled and you shake. But after that, uh, it's a very comfortable death, he said. Um, he, uh, started, he, he, he stopped sh- shaking. He became very comfortable and very drowsy. And he fell asleep. He wanted to, you know, just sleep for a few seconds, and then he fell. He fell asleep. And what happens then is you 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 get more and more drowsy, uh, and then you fall asleep, and then you then you actually free, become hypothermic and freeze to death. He was very mad when uh, a, a mounted ranger happened to just happened to come by in his horse and and find him there and woke him up. And he was mad that he was awakened because he was so comfortable wow. sleeping. And he took him down uh, down the mountain and uh, saved his life. It's interesting then, about five years later, uh, he uh, woke up in the morning. You know, the, some of the surgeons are really early birds, and he woke up probably about 4.30. <laughs> yeah. And um, he has an office near the hospital, and for some reason he felt like he had to go to the office and not the hospital. Normally he'd make rounds first and then go to the office, and he had no idea why he was going to the office. But he got into the office and sat there for a minute just wondering why he was sitting there. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden there was a loud knock on the back door. And he ran off to the back door, and there was the man, totally distraught, disheveled, crying, uh, unkempt. And uh, he said, come on in. What, what happened? And he said, something just awful happened to me. He said, my son was just found frozen to death in the canyon, and I can't believe how much he must have suffered. Uh, and that I'm so, you know, he was so distraught that he had suffered so much uh, during this process. And Dr. Mendenhall, who was a doctor that had uh, nearly frozen to death himself, said, I have something to tell you. It's a tragedy that you lost your son, but he, I can tell you he didn't suffer because, uh, you know, freezing to death is not a, not a suffering kind of a problem. It's, it's, uh, he would, I'm sure he's very comfortable when he finally uh, closed his eyes and, and died. Uh, and the man just became at peace again. He hugged Dr. Mendenhall, left, never saw him again. And uh, Dr. Mendenhall, uh, you know, is convinced that, that it was a divine intervention, that he had to tell this, this man uh, that even though it was a tragedy and his son died, he didn't die in a, a painful death. And that was so comforting to the, to the individual. Yeah, that was one of the stories that definitely made me tear up, you know, just to, you know, that this physician had gone through something 
trying. Um, but ultimately, of course, he was saved and he recovered. But years later, he was able to use his, his experience to comfort a complete stranger who was in such grief. It was what a beautiful story. It's unusual, too, because there are many, many back doors in that office complex. And why that <laughs> individual picked that one back door to knock on at wow. that early, an early hour in the morning, uh, you know, only... only uh, yeah, no one's there. There's no staff there, you know, at no, 4.35 no in the morning. And that's when physicians do their rounds, as you said, because they have to do it before they get to their offices. Because once you guys right. get in your office, you, you're kind of stuck. You know, you can't that's really right. run across the street <laughs> to see more patients. You know, it's not like it's this easy maneuvering thing, even though your offices are so close to the hospital. You're, you're stuck. Taking... You know medicine. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was just a beautiful story. I will say my favorite story in the book um, was your story. Um, I, it's it, the book opens up with it, and it's 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 very telling. It's it's so. Do you mind sharing that story? Sure, I, sure. Rather than me sharing it, I think uh, you should. That would be fabulous. Sure. It's and that's one of the stories that really got me going, also, in, in writing the book. And and it's interesting when I ask people what their favorite story is. Everyone has a different favorite story. And this is a, this is a good one. Yeah, it's a good uh, one. I think it, it was a moving one for me. I was uh, you know on call. Uh, usually, I'm on call most of the the week, and, and my, one of my patients was uh, visiting, uh, I think was a, a business trip to Arkansas, and he called me one evening and said, I've got this terrible uh, right upper abdominal pain, and I'm nauseated, I just had eaten a big meal, and the first thing a doctor thinks of is his gallbladder. So I said, why don't you go off to the hospital and, and just you know, get checked out, make sure it's nothing you know, that you need to be hospitalized for. So he went off, and, and he saw the, the ER doc, and I got a call about two hours later, and and the doc said, you know, the liver enzymes were fine, the blood tests were fine, the ultrasound of the gallbladder was perfectly normal, and uh, uh, we're sending him home, and he's feeling, he's feeling good. And so um, uh, about a week later or so, uh, my patient came back home and uh, st- still having some pain. And so he came in to see me, and I thought, oh, you know, what do these people in Arkansas know in the small <laughs> emergency room? You know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the uh, big the, shot doctor here. You know, I, right. I, can, I can solve this You're problem. in the Mayo Clinic, yeah. <laughs> You've got this covered, uh, right? <laughs> so uh, actually the Mayo Clinic is where I trained. I'm in oh. private practice in Chicago right okay. now. Okay, thank but, you for the uh, correction. But um, so I saw him in the office, and we did some fancier tests, a fancier high-dub gallbladder scan and, <laughs> and some other lab work and so forth. It was all normal. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I was very distraught because I couldn't figure out why he was having this right upper quadrant abdominal pain, and I couldn't diagnose it. And so uh, a couple of days later, I woke up in the morning with this really bizarre feeling that he needed a lung scan. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really strange because this is abdominal pain and nausea, not, not chest pain. So was this could, a, I'm so sorry, but was this a yeah. feeling or words or how did it actually, because it was when you awoken, right? So yeah, it was, was it a visual, just a feeling? Oh. It, there were no words. It was just a feeling, a very mm-hmm. strong feeling that I just couldn't get out of my head. I, I, uh, I took a shower and tried to forget about it, but I, I just had that, it was a, an urgency that if I didn't do this, something would happen. And so... I called him up, which is unusual. Usually I wait till I get to the office, have my nurse call up my patients and, and say, you know, schedule something. And I said, you know, uh, Taylor, you need a, uh, I, I, um, I just woke up this morning. I have a feeling you need a lung scan. Mm-hmm. And I was almost embarrassed to say that because <laughs> it, it was so, it, it, it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And so I can't have it today because I'm flying off to Denver and I've, uh, my, my flight leaves at two and I've got all this packing to do and so forth. And I said, you know, uh, please, would you consider doing a lung scan? What if I could get it in this morning? He thought a while. There was a long silence on the phone. He said, okay, if you can get in this morning, I'll, I'll go ahead and go for it. 
So then my next call was to the hospital, and I said, I'd like to schedule an urgent lung scan this morning. And I could hear the muffled laugh from the tech. And I said, well, we can, we can get in in two days. And I said, no, I need it this morning. And then there was a long silence on the end of the phone. He could tell I was pretty desperate. So he said, okay, send him right over. So I called Taylor. He went right over to the hospital. And about an hour later, I get a call from the radiologist. And he said, good call. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's a massive pulmonary embolus sitting in the diaphragm. That's why he had abdominal pain, not chest pain. Wow. Had he flown out today, he probably would have died. Right. By that point, I had weak knees myself. I had to sit down because you know, now I knew uh, you know, why, why we had to get the lung scan in. And so we discovered he had a hereditary clotting disorder. I admitted him to the hospital intensive, semi-intensive care unit right away, got him on anticoagulants, and he's alive and well to this day Thank on blood thinners forever. Forever. And if he had flown out, that was also the interesting thing. You know, like if he wasn't flying around, maybe if it took a couple more days or whatever to have him diagnosed, you know. He probably, he probably would have died. Because yes, it's exactly. Right, because in the air, airplane, you know, it actually increases inflammation wherever you have it. So it kind of right. stirs up stuff in your body, and something acute like that could have potentially killed him. Yes, yeah, it could have. That is my favorite um, story in the book. I, I really is. I, I love how you listened to your intuition and that even though it felt uncomfortable and, you know, that you went ahead and did it and even called the radiology department, which mostly your nurse does that for you. It's not something yeah, that you yeah. typically do. And you know, you learn uh, after a while in this business, and most of the docs gray hair like, like myself uh, <laughs> learn, there's a little voice in the back of your head sometimes that, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but when you hear that little voice, uh, you kind of listen to that. And my, my partner also, John Bourne, uh, has, has experiences also with that little voice. He was pre-hopping a, a patient the other day who uh, was otherwise pretty healthy, and, and uh, after he finished the exam, uh, later on that day, he'd, he'd get this little voice that this guy needs a, a stress test. He, and uh, so he, he called him up, and the guy refused to have a stress test. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Bourne said, well, I can't, pre- I can't uh, okay you for surgery. That you're going to have to live with your, your bad joint. He said that he finally agreed. And he failed the stress test badly, had multiple coronary lesions, uh, ended up with a bypass surgery that actually probably saved his life before he uh, could go for his uh, joint surgery. Wow. Wow. So he believes in listening to that little voice, too. And he says, I never ignore that little voice. It just saved my life so many times, literally. That is a beautiful story. It truly is. Because, you know, when someone has bypass surgery, they're they're adding decades onto their life, potentially, you know, just from this technological advanced procedure that medicine has created, um, which is beautiful. What I also got when I was reading the book is that all these people of science, men and women, are, have, it's allowed them to be more spiritual. You know, you guys have busy lives, busy careers, families that, again, I don't know how you, again, I guess you, like you said, you don't sleep with your family <laughs> and your, and luckily you are one of those people who thankfully doesn't need a lot of sleep. At least that's what it appears to be, that you yeah. are happy and energized and, you know, yeah. loving your life, which is amazing. You've chosen the perfect passion for yourself, right? You know, the perfect line of work for you. Um, and but, this was, oh, go this ahead. was a, book that I, I just felt compelled to, to write, and it was just something that, uh, and, and during, the, during the process, you know, this was my six-month project that turned out to be four years, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I just had, there, was some, there were funny things that kept happening. Um, the, the person I, I mentioned, the, uh, uh, the publisher, for example, uh, I didn't know who to go to, so I was looking online at uh, Ben Carson's website, and uh, uh, ben Carson, I was hoping to, to have in the book. He's not in the book, but I was hoping mm. to have him in the book. But as I scrolled down his website, there was a picture of a guy uh, in, on his website. I thought, I know that person. 
And that was the person, that was the publisher, that was my former patient that I that I used as a great advisor. Wow. And uh, that helped me and, and listen, listen to the stories initially. So wow. funny things like that happened all the time in writing this, this book. And uh, so I think there was something else uh, uh, over my shoulder that was pushing me along here a little bit. Well, I think when we look at people like physicians who are devoted to caring for humanity, you know, and um, tirelessly work for our health and well-being, I think it's lovely that they get to have these magical experiences that also allow them to feel more spiritually connected to themselves and their patients and the world at large. It's kind of a thank you, I think, from the from the universe. And thank you for your work. How about this little lovely experience right here, which will carry you hopefully for another 10 years or so in this, you know, very demanding profession. In, yeah. in one of the stories you wrote about um, a physician who was working in Ethiopia, he wanted to be a missionary physician. And so he and his family moved to Ethiopia, a huge, you know, life change. Yeah. And um, he was going to be uh, working under the surgeon that had been there for like two decades um, for five years. He was going to work underneath right. him. I think it was five years or five months. I can't remember it, what. Uh, five, it was a long time, years. Five it was, years. It was supposed to be years, yes. Because one of the things you shared in the book about working as a missionary you know, surgeon in a country like Ethiopia, you could see anything. You know, and usually yeah. a lot of the things you see, people have been sick for a long time or their, you know, their traumas are very severe. And so yeah. you have to be really trained on every type of surgery. Yes. And he had to go to, uh, he did some neurosurgery uh, training. He did uh, orthopedic surgery training, general surgery, uh, did some medicine. And so he had to do a, a lot of training in, in different areas. And he wow. ran into all of it. Oh, yes, right away. And then to some misfortune, the the lead physician who he was going to replace had to be called away after just a few months to another right. hospital in Africa. And so then now this young man is all by himself, basically. And he said sometimes yeah. besides doing eight or nine surgeries a day, he would see maybe 100 patients, depending on what was going on. And he was it, exhausted, he said. It was a crazy schedule. And he was absolutely exhausted. And you know, this would go on seven days a week. Uh, people would come in and, you know, how can you turn a person away that's bleeding to death that needs an emergency operation? You can't. You have to do it. So this would happen. You know, people would, and now he became actually pretty uh, notorious as, as a fine surgeon. So people would, would bring uh, their relatives to him every day of the week. And so he was operating virtually every day of the week. He was exhausted after about six or seven months of doing this, and he was ready to quit. And he had, you know, he was very, very spiritual, very devout, and and he went and he prayed every morning. And this one particular morning, he said a prayer uh, asking God for relief. And he, his prayer went something like this: You know, Father in heaven, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I love this work, but I can't go on. If if you can't send me someone today, will take over and 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 be able to relieve me, I'll, I'll have to quit. Mm-hmm. And so he went across to his uh, hospital and did his did his cases. And then there was a knock on the operating room door, and it was his wife. Now, his wife never came to the surgical suite because she didn't like the sight of blood. She, she would faint. Yes. <laughs> so scary for her. Yeah. And she stood there with this man that had just arrived by plane uh, in their grassy uh, uh, runway. And he was all disheveled. And, and uh, as soon as Dr. Adolph, who was the operating surgeon, uh, saw him, he knew there was something divine that was happening. And uh, his wife introduced him uh, to Dr. Moskowitz, who was a uh, chest surgeon from Brooklyn who had just come to re- uh, relieve Harold. And uh-huh. said, well, how did you, how did you know that to, to come and relieve me? He said, well, about a, about a month ago I had this feeling that I needed to do a mission. 
And so I wanted to take a month off, and I scheduled my month off, and then I needed to find somewhere in the world to go. So I did the scientific thing. I took a map out, spun it around the table with my eyes closed a couple times, put my finger down, <laughs> and there you were, Ethiopia. <laughs> so we flew into Ethiopia and uh, then called up uh, some mission hospitals. And, and when he talked with one of the mission representatives, he said, well, go relieve Harold Adolph. And he just showed up, and, and there he was. And, and uh, Harold was able to go uh, take a month off and uh, relieve, you know, uh, the stresses that he had. And, and he was able then to uh, go back, and I think he did 42 years of 42 mission work. 42 years, yeah. But he decided every six months he'd take a month off. Which was extremely smart and shows how much, how devoted he was to caring for the, these people and, yeah. and how much he loved it that he figured out a way, and, and which allowed other physicians to come and get trained in very unusual circumstances, which will only help them wherever they work in the world, you know, for as sure. surgeons. For sure. One of the he's things... One of the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. He's one of the doctors that I... Uh, in the book, I called uh, these kinds of doctors sappy do-gooders. <laughs> sappy do-gooder. That's a good one. I like it. Harold truly is a sappy do-gooder. He really is. And, and yeah. how what a blessing that he did that for so long um, yeah. for all those people. He, 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 You shared also in part of his story that sometimes entire families would have to transport a sick patient, a family member... Miles and miles, you know, crossing, you know, rivers and mountains. And so the entire family would come and they would carry their family member on a stretcher and they would all take turns carrying, sometimes for days. And by the time they would arrive at the hospital, we can see why it would be so hard for him to turn anyone away because they were obviously so ill from whatever occurred initially, which right. has had a lot of pregnancies, a lot of problems in childhood, uh, childbirth yeah, that was, issues. That was one of the biggest uh, things he, he ran into, and that was the ruptured uterus mm. from a pregnancy that uh, where they, they couldn't deliver, the, the baby couldn't come out, and the uterus eventually ruptured, wow. and the, the woman would almost bleed to death. And uh, Harold was uh, kind of funny because they had no blood bank there, and uh, what they would have would be individuals that would donate blood when they needed it. So it was his ambulatory blood bank. Right, the walking and blood bank, he called it, right? The walking blood bank, right, right. Uh, so, uh, but those were some of the emergencies that he ran into, these these poor women that were transported. They, they, the whole family would come. There'd be about 15 people, and they'd all, you know, three on each side would, would take the the, uh, the the gurney or whatever they used uh, to, to transport the person, and then they would switch off because they'd get tired, you know, and then they'd all switch off here and there. They'd walk through streams and jungles, and it was just an amazing, 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 amazing dedication that well, they had to a sick person. Dr. Kolbaba, you are a saint, but of course, the work that you do <laughs> and all the wonderful people that you have wrote, written about in your book. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing this with all of us, because we really need to hear these uplifting stories that it's Excellent. a very important time in the world. So how can people get your book? What's the best way? Uh, Amazon.com. Uh, right. It's available through Amazon. It's a Kindle or a, or a soft cover. And it's also available uh, through uh, Barnes & Noble online. Wonderful. Not, uh, uh, in the stores. Wonderful. And, and the book is Physicians Untold Stories. Thank you so much. We wish you a delightful day and every day in your practice and with your family. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, Marie. It's been fun. It's lovely. Thank you so much. And we're going to take a break here on the Marie Menu Cherry Show. We'll be right back.
Have you ever wanted to learn about the anatomical function of a chakra and have a greater understanding of how it functions? Well, check out Marie's latest course, Divine Energy Medicine. This two-day intensive course will educate participants in reading the health and vitality of chakras, organs, and the physiology of the human body. Participants will learn how to energetically read others and how to hold their energy to create a health and wellness for themselves and those they touch. Join Marie March 25th and 26th as she dives into divine energy medicine. Visit her website, energyintuitive.com, for more details about the course. I believe in you. Just four simple words. But to a child in need, they mean the world. I believe in you means you have potential. You are special. You matter. When you become a child sponsor with Save the Children, you're saying, I believe in you. You are smart. You're capable. You will overcome obstacles that most can't imagine. Your sponsorship says to a child, I believe that you deserve a successful start to life and a solid foundation to build upon. I believe you're worthy of good nutrition, quality health care, and the opportunity that education unlocks. Becoming a Save the Children sponsor sends a powerful message of support. It says, I am here for you, to lift you up, to cheer you on, and to celebrate your success. Because when you believe in a child, you empower them to believe in themselves. I believe in you. Just four simple words that can bring hope, that can change a life. Visit sponsor.savethechildren.org today and tell a child in need, I believe in you. Life is full of questions. Find the answers at 1150kknw.com. Eileen Grimes, host of the Jupiter Rising Show, invites you to read her weekly horoscope message for your sign. Check out 1150kknw.com and click on your sign. It's that simple. Stars, Psychics.com sponsors KKNW's horoscope feature and is ready 24-7 to get you answers about love and life. Stars, Psychics.com. That's stars with a Z, Psychics.com. If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there's a variety of ways to do so. You could become Marie's friend on Facebook or even follow her on Twitter. Check out Marie's website. There's tons of new features like Chakra of the Month, a live Twitter feed, and three PDFs with extensive exercises for your chakras. You can also sign up for Marie's free quarterly newsletter and also get your questions answered in her Dear Marie column. Simply email Marie your question, and she will answer it in an upcoming edition. Marie also will be speaking and signing books. Find out if she'll be in your area on her events page at energyintuitive.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell are joined by Carrie Samuels, back with more dynamic ideas to make your happiness priority one. On Saturday, Mary Lee LeBay returns with a new exploration of the power and potential of human consciousness. In hour number two, Manson Mitchell are pleased to present Rhea, host of Entrepreneur's Table. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007, we are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live here in gorgeous but cold Seattle. And again, we hope wherever you are in the world that you're enjoying your weather, your day or night, your season. So who do we have uh, on the phone lines? Because we're taking your calls now. Yes. And if you'd like to join us, 877-825-8828 is the number for Marie's show. And it's 877-825-8828. Christina calling in from Texas. Hello, Christina. Hello. Hi, Christina. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Great. What can I do for you? Um, well, I just wanted to get a general reading. Um, I've been staying at home with uh, running a home-based business for the last year and a half, and I'm thinking about going back into the workplace. Uh-huh. So I guess it's not really a general reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just wondering if you might have any insight in, as to when that might happen. Do you know what you want to do? Because I kind of feel like you don't know what you really want to do. It's, I feel like you're kind of bored, and so you want to find something that's not as boring, but you haven't caught, found that place where you go, ah, about your work. You know what I mean? Um, well, there's a company that I'm interested in that um, a friend works at, and it's um, they help out nonprofits mm-hmm. or not-for-profits, and mm-hmm. I really like that mission. And mm-hmm. um, I really want to buy a house. I need a bigger house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just looking for something to bring in that income and I don't, I don't know if this next job is going to be my, my sole fulfillment. <laughs> well, I can say no. It, it probably won't be. It sounds like a great job, by the way. I mean, it sounds like it's a great mission and I'm sure wonderful people. I just would love for you. So you can go ahead and take that job if you want to. That's perfectly fine. But I really want you to spend some time and in, in, in kind of searching your heart. If you have this opportunity to figure out what really lights your soul on fire and do something that feeds you passionately, I can only speak from personal experience. That is something that will forever rock your world very positively. It's something that nobody can ever take away from you. It's always your own in some way, shape, or form to have this relationship with something that just lights your soul on fire. And I just think you kind of owe it to yourself since you have this time, this kind of luxury in a way, to figure that out to at least put some energy there, even if you go get this other job. I just think that's, I think that's more important than the question you're asking me, actually. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, I've... I feel like I've been trying to do that my whole life, and I've never really had success getting to that point. I well, how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, I just kind of think about things that make me happy and what my personality traits would lend to mm-hmm. being good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that usually leads to, like, corporate jobs and recruiting or sales yeah, or, but, you know. You know, I'm, a, I'm really good at putting in IVs. I'm also really good at communicating with the other staff in the hospital, even yelling at a doctor if I had to. I, I'm really good at that. But it doesn't make my soul, oh, it did for a little while. It, it really did for about eight years. I, I thought it was the end all. I thought, oh, my God, I, I discovered my, my one true passion. Um, but it really wasn't. It was a step towards what I do today, which is really my passion. So... You can't logically figure this out. I could have never imagined in a million years that, first of all, I would host a radio show, but let alone um, lay hands on people for a living and read their energy and tell them what's going on with themselves. That was never even close to my radar. So this is not something that you can logically predict or try to figure out. It's impossible. This is about your heart. This is about connecting to the fourth chakra, about what feeds you passionately. And I think you're disconnected from that, and I'm encouraging you to create a relationship with yourself, feeling what really, really brings you joy. Not thinking about what brings you joy, but feeling it. Does that make sense? Yes, but I'm not very good at that. How do I get better at that? So you're going to practice, because you're lovely, you're kind, you're interesting, you're devoted. Whatever your passion is in this world, your true authentic passion, you're going to do great at it and you're going to be very successful. So I guess what I'm trying to get you to do is to stop wasting time trying to do things that make you go, "Mm, this is okay for a little while. This is fine because it actually drains people's energy. Just like how we were talking to Dr. Kulbaba. Okay, this man doesn't get any sleep, but he is totally and completely impassioned. 
right? So he, he get, you get energized. When you do things that passionately feed you, you literally become energized. And probably the best way for you to do this is to get out of the way and start, in a, it, for a better word, pray. <laughs> like, mm, like okay. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. This is the prayer I said when I realized nursing was not my life passion. It was a part of my passion, but it wasn't the thing. So I prayed every morning for, uh, you know, for a few months. I, and this is what I said. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to discover my passion. So get out of the way, align to the divine, and let's see what happens. Okay. Okay? And keep me posted. I want to hear. Okay. Okay. Sounds Thanks good. for calling in. Okay. All righty. Thanks very much. 877-825-8828 is the number for Marie's show. 877-825-8828. Let's travel to Portland. Portland. We Yay. were just talking about I know. Portland. That's why I want to bring her on. Get an update. So, Melissa, are you going to get some snow again? I guess we are supposed to today. <laughs> I'm so excited oh, today. to talk to you. That's oh. what I was saying, right? So Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil was right in some areas. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, it's freezing today. It's definitely cold out there. Wow. Okay, well, could you guys make sure you get rid of all the snow before I come down in February? Well, it's February already. You're coming here? Yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to go back to the AM Northwest people, but go on their afternoon show and do a segment later on in the month. Um, So I'm very excited about that. I I come every few months or whenever they have room for me to do a segment on the on the television there. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. So, so what can I do for you? But I don't want to drive okay, in the snow, so, so you guys got to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Okay. Um, I definitely just want a general reading today, and then um, maybe to just kind of look at what's going on with my digestion. Yeah. Well, I think you have what a lot, you know, a, a lot of Americans have this right now, and you tend to be someone who, luckily, this is good for you, but then it can be a little confusing. You're an optimist. Would you agree? Oh, totally. My daughter tells me I'm a dreamer. Good. I like I like optimistic people. I think it's a good thing. But here's kind of our problem, because I would put myself in that category as well, is that sometimes we don't know what we're feeling. And it's not always, hey, how's it going? Right. Like we could be sad about something or stressed out or uh, angry about something. And we don't always know what we're feeling unless we're checking in on our emotions because our brain is really wired for like bright light and happiness, which is lovely. I think you're right, feeling right. a tremendous amount of stress with the current U.S. situation. I think it's overwhelming for you, probably so much so that you probably can't even watch the news. Oh, I definitely don't watch the news. <laughs> I don't even, I kind of stay away from social media altogether. Yeah, which is really a good call for you. I think that's a great call. Right. But right now, a lot of Americans are over the moon stressed out. They're protesting. Right. They're writing their senators. And for everyone listening uh, on the air today, especially if you live in a red state and you don't like what, who your senator's voting to, to become the secretary of the U.S. or anything else that's going on, would you please call them or write them a letter? Find out who they are and call them. So obviously that's not for you, right. um, Melissa. But so there's a lot of anxiety going on. And I think that you are actually feeling it and it's going into your intestinal tract. So here's what I'm going to recommend that you do. I'd love for you to take some time every day, put your hand somewhere around your tummy or, you know, the umbilical area. And I want you to just have a conversation with your intestines and just say, honey, everything's okay. The world is a little crazy right now, but only good will come of this. And that, you know, I would prefer that you release any stress that's in the intestinal tract right now. Because the the neurotransmitters that are on the stomach and the intestines are not that different than the ones that are in the brain. And so you're good at not allowing your brain to, you know, 
better than me, by the way. I've watched way too much news in the last few weeks um, to absorb I'm sorry. That. Thank you. <laughs> Sleeping's been a little challenging. And then I have a daughter who's right. a human rights lawyer. So she lives with me. So obviously the conversation oh, wow. continues, right, at home. Right. So, um, so, so you're doing a good job of not letting the neurotransmitters in your brain be overreactive, which is wonderful. But your intestinal tract, because you're so sensitive and you care about people so much, it's absorbing the anxiety from the stress of of the U.S. political situation. So you're going to need to have a conversation okay. even though your brain goes, oh, we're fine. Your tummy needs some reassurance. That makes sense. And just take lots of probiotics or whatever you normally take that help your GI system. Just be a little bit more diligent regarding that. And don't eat sugar. Okay. You know, avoid the, st- the stressors for the intestines as well that are food-related. Okay. 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 So then this isn't related then to my gallstones. It's just my intestines. I, I don't think so because your gallstones don't seem like they're blocking anything. Okay. Okay. Is, that's good to know. That's how it feels to me. Um, okay. Do, do you know how many you have? I see two. Do you have? Do you know how many? I have you? two beautiful ones. Oh, right. Okay. And, <laughs> yes. and and they feel they're floating to me, so they're not like stuck somewhere, like blocking anything of that right. nature. But you know, okay. and gallbladders take in um, frustration. That's what they do. Right. So, again, we're talking about frustration and annoyance and worry and fear. So please talk to your beautiful um, tummy. Also work on asking yourself, what am I feeling? So you can be aware of when you are stressed and not just react from the, that positive bright light brain that you have, which is lovely. And also drink lemon water. Thank you. You're welcome. First thing in the morning, hot or warm lemon water, and we'll help decompress the gallbladder. But it'll be helpful. Okay, I just got lemon essential oils yesterday, so Great. I guess lemon is supposed to be my thing. Yeah, it's really good. I know that, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name right now, but there is a really good book called The Liver Gallbladder Flush. Um, of course, okay. Benny's looking it up for me. <laughs> I should know this gentleman's name. I actually met him. <laughs> he passed away a few years ago, um, but I can't remember his name right now. Uh, did you find it? Well, I can uh, look it up, too. It's no. Andre. David, David yeah. Wolf. No, no, it's Andre Maltz or something like that. He wrote the amazing liver, liver gallbladder flush. I'm looking, okay. okay, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. It's key, it's Andrea something, and a lot of people who probably listen to the show right now are yelling out his last name, and I'm, unfortunately I can't remember it. But but if if we, when okay. we figure it out, we'll say it on the air, and then you'll be able to oh, look. Oh, Maurice. At, yeah, that's it. Okay. What is it again? The amazing liver and gallbladder flush by Andreas Moritz. M O R M O R I T Z. Lovely. It's a great book. Right. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, he's not on the that. planet anymore, but his books are lovely. Okay? Okay, then I will check into that. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in and have a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll see you in Portland you in a few weeks. Yay. Okay, okay bye-bye. Bye-bye. Super cute. Super adorable. Darling. But works for you. Uh, let's see here. Casey from Kirkland. Let me bring on Casey. Casey, hello. Are you there? Hello, yes. Hi, welcome Casey, to Marie's show. You? you have a great voice, by the way. Great for radio. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. What can um, I do for and you? And I'm, I don't know why I got nervous when I'm talking to you, but, um, and I've met you before, Marie, and you're just the I most know who amazing, you are. Did you just person. move back home from Hawaii? Yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was actually on LinkedIn, and I saw, because you were living in Hawaii with your hub, hubby and your son. And, yeah. and then I was looking at where you were working or something like that. I go, well, that's not in Hawaii. And then I realized you moved home. So welcome home, Casey. Thank you. Thank you. And I don't even really know what I wanted to ask you specifically. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you and be in your energy oh. and just hear what you had to say to me. Oh, well, first of all, I miss you. I haven't seen you in years. Just a lovely, mm-hmm. wonderful human being. 
So, so what are you trying to do these days? What's up, babe? Well, actually, everything's pretty awesome, except for that we're not in Hawaii anymore. But <laughs> I mean, we we are happy to be home. We love it here. And I just kind of stumbled into a, an amazing situation with work. And Great. Um, my husband's staying home and my Lovely. son is happy. But I still seem to have some anxiety, even with just everything being so chill. Uh-huh. And, and what do you think it's related to? Because you're a smart cookie. I'm just helping you. Well, and yeah. it's funny because as I was hearing you talk to the other callers, I was writing things down uh-huh. to myself. Right. Um, and I think I'm just in my head way too much, and I know that about myself, yeah. but I just don't really slow down to do the work to get out of my head. I think it was easy when you're in Hawaii because, I mean, you walk out your back door and there's an ocean or a mountain. Exactly. And it's yeah. chill there. I mean, you know, most of the islands minus Oahu. Everybody goes to sleep like around eight o'clock at night or something like that. At least when I've been on vacation, it's not like it's not a rousing city. You know, I'm sure that yeah. people aren't all asleep at eight o'clock. But so it's easier for you when you're in that kind of environment to just unconnect and and um, re- reboot yourself. You know what I mean? So you're going to have to yeah. figure out how to do it here. You're going to have to go on more walks. You're going to have to like maybe on your lunch hour, uh, you know, after you've had a nice lunch or whatever, even grab a smoothie if you need to and go for a walk. I think that's going to help you enormously. And go near water because water works great for you. We are surrounded by it, but we actually have to go there. It's not like Kauai where it's everywhere you drive, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. right? It's a different kind of a situation that the water there is just more powerful for the islands. So I think you're going to have to go see the swans if they're still in the wetland park in Kirkland. Um you know, because they winter here, the trumpet swans, there's about 10 or 15 of them and some of their babies. So maybe they'll need to go see the swans every day. But I think that's what you're going to have to do is force yourself to create a routine where you can decompress because you do get anxious. And it's it's not um, it's, it's it's not something that has to stay with you forever. You've just had things that happened in your life that affected your neurological system. You know, I mean, serious things that happened in your life. And so your body had a reaction, of course, from those things. And sometimes if your stress gets slightly elevated, and I mean slightly, then you go right back into that vibration. So you have to be in a routine to decompress your anxiety. Okay, also, I like that. Also, there are herbs um, that you could look at that actually help with the nervous system. So you could go maybe to PCC or talk to your natural path and find some herbs um, that help with the adrenal glands and that help calm things down. I think that would be helpful, too. Not necessarily ashagandwa. That one heightens things. But things like rhodiola or um, licorice root. Um, again, I'm not a naturopath, so you have to ask a, a real professional. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but those things are really good at calming down the nervous system. I love that. And it sounds so easy and it's so something that it I can is. do this afternoon. It is. So I it's really so appreciate easy. that. And welcome yeah. home. I hope Thank I run you. into you and we get to give each other a big hug. I would love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Bye. Cool. 877-825-8828 is the number for the Marie Manuchery Show. We have a couple minutes left. Uh, we probably take one or two more calls. So okay. let's do this. Let's take Heidi. She's calling in from Tacoma. Hello, Heidi. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for asking. What can I do for you? Well, my father-in-law just passed. So sorry. I really am. Thank you. Uh And we're, you know, we're dealing with challenging times right now. Uh, Yeah. And so um, I have a couple of questions. Um, My first question is about his spirit Uh and whether he has found some peace 
in the passing. Well, he hasn't been um, gone that long, has he? I mean, it's no, not... it's only been since Saturday. Yeah, so he's in what I would call the astro plane, um, and he's going to have to do a little work too because he waited a little longer before he died. Oh yeah, he stayed in his body <laughs> yeah. too long, so it kind of yeah. his energy got really broken down. You know, so the yeah. human energy system actually can be affected by how well we take care of our body, or in some cases when people don't let go when they're dying and they just, yeah. you know we're like, wow, every organ in your body has to shut down before you're going to let go, which was right. kind of your father-in-law's case, which is just exactly right. what a strong personality this gentleman had. And I'm sure he was very vigilant in his life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so he's in the astral plane. He's in between our world and, and the heavens and uh, he's floating around. He's a little confused. That's not unusual, but especially for him because he really didn't always believe in this kind of stuff, you know. So he's mm-hmm. like, "What's going on?" And he's kind of every once in a while he'll see you and his son, um, and he'll go, "Oh!" And then he kind of floats away because the the astral plane is a huge time space reality. I mean, it's gigantic. It's bigger than Earth itself. And so he he, he on one of his passings because he really, really is kind of floating around, but he's comfortable. He's not in pain. He's just a little confused, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he sees the two of you and he goes, oh, but then before he can reach out for you guys, it's like he's floated on, which is good. He needs to kind of detach. He'll probably mm-hmm. cross in about three weeks. It's going to take a little time for him to actually get to the other side. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to be most likely in a healing chamber. So there's healers in every dimension. And so he's going to be in a healing room where uh, practitioners help put back the energy system, you know, that was kind of distorted from a very, you know, sick human body. So mm-hmm. that's going to take about four months <laughs> approximately. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't know for sure, but that's the information that I'm getting about four months. But okay. he's perfectly fine. And during all of that time, including where he is right now, it's almost like being in a semi-conscious state. So he doesn't really know everything that's going on, but he's content. He's happy. He's he's comfortable. He doesn't have a body mm-hmm. anymore. So that's what's going on with him. And so probably in about six months, you're going to feel a connection. Like you're going to go, oh, there's my father. I can feel my father-in-law now. Or, or the family <laughs> might go, hey, I think grandpa's around. You, you might yeah. start noticing, but it's going to be delayed because he's got some things he needs to do to get his energy strong enough to be able to communicate between dimensions. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, great question, yeah. by the way. And, and Thank I'm, you. I'm so happy he finally let go. And your oh, family was too. ready, more than yeah. ready. And so that's... More than ready. Yeah. It and, good. It's all good. And I'm sorry for I your have, loss, too. I really thank am. Thank you very much. I have I have one more question just and uh, just as far as, like, any wisdom from spirit guides, whether they're mine or whether they're my husband's, just to help us in the, in the processing and the meditation of this grief? Well... Well, you're doing great, by the way. <laughs> I'm <laughs> and, okay. But you, I'm okay. <laughs> in my opinion, but you can say no, Marie. I'm not. I'm. It's it's a terrible no, struggle. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you. I'm all right. I'm, I'm more there for him right now. I know, but your husband has to go through this. Your husband isn't somebody who lets himself feel a lot of his emotions, and this is an incredible opportunity for him to grieve not just his dad, but a whole bunch of other. I want to say the S word. A whole bunch of other stuff. The other S word. Yeah. That. He needs to let go of this is think of it this way. Instead of rescuing him and trying to make him feel okay, I mean, you can support him. Of course, you're a wonderful partner for him. You're both blessed, in my opinion. So, you know, let him fall apart a little bit because this isn't a guy who's going to run out and go get therapy anytime soon from what I can see. And this is an opportunity for him to have something like this happen. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. So, so. 
it's okay that he's falling apart a little bit. He did lose a prominent member of his family. And mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to let a whole bunch of other stuff, without him knowing, kind of get out through all the grief that he's going to go through. And he'll do great. Good. He'll do great. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. You're I really welcome. appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay. Cool. Thanks very much for calling in. One more caller I One think we have. One more? Yeah. Okay. And we'll bring on Aaron from Bothell. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Aaron. What can I do for you? Um, I was just hoping for a general read. A general reading. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's so much I could ask, but general, yeah. <laughs> so well, you know, it's always funny, too, when people, not, not everyone, but a lot of people will, you know, uh, give us a question, which we kind of need something to start with. Um, But most people change their minds before they actually get on the air. So I try my best (laughs) not to actually read their question before they come on the air. First of all, as I'm writing out your energy, I I just want to say I'm really impressed. You've got great energy, really good energy. In fact, you're absorbing energy in some, what I would even call difficult chakras, where let's say the majority of people actually aren't good at taking energy in certain areas. Like your heart chakra is actually absorbing a tremendous amount of energy. So the world is kind of in a stress moment right now. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and your energy is being fulfilled. Okay. So when I look at people who can do that, I'm like, wow, they're good at traumas. Mm-hmm. So what okay. do you do in the world, you know, if, if you have a family besides that, what do you do in the world? Uh, I actually work at a church here nearby. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an assistant to mm-hmm. one of the teachers there. That's very lovely. Uh, And I'm sure there's traumas that arise in churches because that's where people go when they're really, you know, struggling. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that's where they reach. We're kind of a unique one. Good. So I would encourage you to, um, you know, become a practitioner, whether that's a counselor or even consider doing some trauma work, because I think you will excel at it. Excel. So I'm even seeing Harborview Hospital, our trauma hospital here here locally. See if there's some work you can do there or you know, really get kind of curious about this question because your energy expands under trauma. So that Mm -hmm. means you're someone who can hold space when things are going kind of crazy, which obviously you're doing the right thing with what you're doing with the church right now. But I think there's even other things or maybe even more, more deeply that you could do within that Institute. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. I've read your book and I just, it, it really so cool to me. So I've been kind of digging into that a little bit more. Well, think about that too. If you do energy work, maybe you would, you know, attract clients that are going through horrific times Mm. because you're someone who can hold space for them. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you (laughs) for the work that you do now and in the future. How lovely. That's really great. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to the show. It was a pleasure to interview Scott. Kulbaba, a physician in Illinois, and his beautiful book, uh, Physicians Untold Stories. And I just can't impress enough. Call your senators and your congresspeople. I don't care what state you live in. Complain. Look and find out who they vote for, because we need to empower ourselves and take charge of our own beautiful U.S. country and make sure people who actually are going to support our beliefs are in the White House. So please call your constituents or whatever we actually really call them. Call these people in the White House, your senators and your congresspeople, and let them know what you're thinking. If the lines are busy, because I recently made some phone calls, and nobody would pick up the phone. I was so annoyed. So I found their email addresses, and I wrote them a note saying what I wanted. And I also said, please hire someone with my tax dollars to answer the phones. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye.